Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And I drunkenly said that to Damon Lindelof at the Star <laughs> Trek Picard premiere. And he told me, he was like, yeah, I said, I've just been asking everybody who's in their writer's room. And he's like, yeah, you got to hold their feet to the fire. He would probably not remember that. Or maybe he does. Maybe he's like, maybe he walked out of there like telling people, there's a, there's a drunk lady uh, talking <laughs> about uh, equality. Um, but yeah. That, That's how that change my... happens, Danette. <laughs> it's just me approaching people. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Push the Envelope. I am the AV Club's Editor-in-Chief, Patrick Gomez, and I am joined, uh, as I have been for the past few weeks, by our Managing Editor, Eric Adams, and TV Editor, Jeanette Chavez. Thank you guys again for joining. Happy to be here. (laughs) Uh, We are continuing to talk about all things 2020 Emmy Awards leading up to the ceremony, which at this point is Sunday. Uh, it's so exciting. We've spent uh, four weeks now talking about it for it to finally be here. Um, and this week, we are going to be focused on the limited series and TV movie categories. Uh, we'll also be hearing from nominees Uzo Aduba of Miss America and Watchmen executive producer and director Stephen Williams. Um, but before we get to that, we had two bits of news that we wanted to discuss up at the top of the podcast. Um, one of them uh, is uh, actually movie-related, but we're going to talk about how it pertains to television. Um, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences uh, has announced new guidelines for the Best Picture consideration. Um, the Cliff Notes version of that is that uh, the films will have to meet two out of four criteria calling for a diverse cast, crew, production team, or publicity team um, to be eligible uh, for a Best Picture nomination starting in 2024. Um, we'll discuss how that impacts the Oscars and the movie industry uh, in future episodes. But uh, I wanted to take time here to get your quick thoughts, guys, on what you think about uh, if the Emmys, uh, the Television Academy, should do anything similar. Because uh, we've discussed how diversity has or has not played into the nominations for this year's awards. Danette, what do you think in terms of creating lasting change? And is stuff like this necessary to be done on the TV side as well? I think TV has a better track record, especially in recent years. It's still wanting in many areas, but I mean, we see that in this batch of nominees. Um, I mean, you know, you'll have an Oscar ceremony where all the acting, I mean, wasn't that the, this, past year ceremony where all the acting nominees were white. I mean, the the institutional change has to be much more expansive than what the Academy has proposed because there's so many ways to get around those things. And yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you mentioned publicity and I do think we need to talk about access journalism. You know, a lot of freelance writers aren't able to you know, view things ahead of time. They're not given the same opportunities, even when they're 
you know, from the same marginalized group that a show might be promoting, you know, like how many trans journalists do you see engaging, you know, with Pose at, you know, an, an outlet? Like they're definitely writing about it and tweeting about it, but how many of these people are being given the opportunity to do that with a platform? So uh, for me, it's not just about the, you know, the studios making sure that these that uh, people are nominated, um, but it's also, we have to think about it much more holistically. The industry includes the media, I think. Um, so yeah, like I, I think it has to go way beyond this. This is a quarter measure, if that. Yeah, I agree. I think that one of the other important things here that's as important as representation is and to be able to see representation on camera, um, you know, making sure that stuff behind the scenes um, is quite diverse, I think is going to have as much, if not more of an impact uh, for the future of the industry. So I, I, I do hope that we continue to see initiatives taken, not just by um, the, um, on the film side, but most definitely on the television side. But I do agree that television has, has moved uh, has has moved the needle uh, much quicker than than we've seen on the film side. Uh, you know, as important as these conversations are, uh, we also got uh, some fun news about what we can expect on Sunday. We got our our first few names of who will be presenting, and they will continue to add names, as particularly this year up into the morning of. So uh, obviously, this isn't a full list, but we've heard uh, that Anthony Anderson, America Ferrera, Issa Rae, Gabrielle Union, JJ Watt. Lena Waith, Oprah Winfrey uh, will all be a part of the ceremony on Sunday. Um, and we'll also know, uh, be hearing from her, uh, who will be um, doing the special in memoriam performance. Um, so that'll be all super interesting. I'm very excited to, to see uh, if we're going to see these people's homes or if they're going to be in some sort of studio situation. Uh, but I, I'm super excited about that. Um, and I'm hoping that there's a few surprises. I don't see Amy Poehler on here yet. Uh, and you guys know I'm holding out for that very much so. <laughs> and what would television's biggest night be without one of its greatest icons, J.J. Watt? You know, when I saw his name pop up, I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. But then I forgot that, like, the, the, these people, like, they host game shows and all this stuff pops up. It was, it just was interesting that he was among the first <laughs> names, as though that's a, a big get. Although I know people are... are uh, with sports being um, also having to totally reckon with stuff, uh, any any representation for sports fans, I'm sure that is appreciated as well. So I don't want to discount that, but it, it, it surprised me similarly. Well, I think if you um, also look at football as the most popular show on broadcast television, it kind of makes sense. He's he's a character within this grand drama that people tune into every Sunday, but it does. Uh, he does stick out like a big, muscly thumb in that list. <laughs> um, but yes, like I said, there will be adding names up into the day of, so uh, we look forward to that. Um, you know, maybe JJ is just really upset that he never got nominated for appearing on, on New Girl um, after <laughs> the day. So, you know what, I'll give it to him. Sure, come on. Um, but no, let's let's dive in. Um, Eric, uh, I, I don't expect a, a, a full show like we maybe got the last time, but I think you did such a fantastic job of, of, of leading us into each category of nominees. Um, why don't you why don't you go ahead and kick us off with outstanding supporting actor? Oh, oh, you don't expect a whole show? I mean, Jeez, I am I, down for it, but I just didn't want to put you on the spot. All right, guys. Yeah, you can you can clear out. Okay. Yeah. The <laughs> all right, the orchestra. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, the fire dancers. Yeah. I mean, I know it's an audio format. We, we, we didn't really think that one through. 
JJ, I'm glad I'm glad you were able to squeeze into this tiny closet with me. I'm sorry that I insulted you to your face. Thank thank you, Mr. Watt. Uh, best of luck uh, this Sunday. I hope you only were going to pay them if they actually made it to tape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my contracts are ironclad. <laughs> the nominees, an outstanding supporting actor in a limited series or movie are Yahya Abdul-Mateen II for Watchmen, Jovan Adepo for Watchmen, Titus Burgess, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy vs. the Reverend, Louis Gossett Jr. for Watchmen, Jim Parsons for Hollywood, and Dylan McDermott, not Dermot Milroney, for Hollywood. Are you sure about that last one? <laughs> you know, it's really hard to tell when you're watching Hollywood because uh, to me that uh, performance is just one ominous cough. <laughs> yeah, it, that one surprised me a, a, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Hollywood, but the nominations here did surprise me. Eric, Eric, what did you what did you think about the Hollywood ones in particular? Uh, the wrong supporting performances are nominated. You've got Dylan McDermott, who's really kind of giving it uh, not not as all. It's a it's a very thin performance that's propped up by uh, this tragedy that's seemingly hanging around the corner of his every line. And then you got Jim Parsons who, you know, there, there is, there's an ability for him to do mean the way that he does mean, uh, as Rock Hudson's manager, I am blanking on his name, Henry Wilson. Uh, and that character also kind of seems like he's the residual scum of the sort of more Hollywood Babylon version of the story that Hollywood is telling. Uh, and I, it just, it just doesn't work for me, uh, on either count. I really think the, the missing nomination here, uh, is Joe Mantello as Dick, the, the studio executive. Uh, there's a marked difference between the type of work that uh, Montello is doing versus some of the more cartoony performances that are in Hollywood uh, versus some of the, the thinner performances. It's one of the things that marks a Ryan Murphy production for me is sort of this inability to balance tones and to blend disparate elements together. And you can really see that really pronounced uh, in Hollywood, which is such a weird miniseries that I nonetheless kind of found myself morbidly fascinated with. Yeah. Uh, and Danette, what did you think about Hollywood's uh, nominations here? Um, you know, it's just, it's interesting to look at it's, it's, we've got three Watchmen uh, to Hollywood. And then of course we have Titus Burgess, uh, who's nominated for um, the Kimmy Schmidt uh, interactive or, or choose your own adventure movie of sorts. Uh, so it's, it's a very interesting uh, set of nominees in terms of uh, the project represented. What's funny to me more than anything is how uh, Titus Burgess was just not going to be denied an Emmy, despite the fact that he had, or the Emmy nomination, sorry, uh, despite the fact that, you know, they had a switch to a different format versus, you know, a whole season of the show. Um, and he was just so sweet when we, when we spoke last month, you know, he had, he had this, it's an honor to be nominated mentality um, but he also wasn't really planning to, you know, to 
to put together a whole group to watch uh, the ceremony. Whereas I imagine, uh, you know, the Hollywood people, they've got to get something going, right? I mean, Gatsby parties were such a big thing in the before times, the before times being before the pandemic, not the actual like flapper days. But, <laughs> you know, I, I imagine if anybody's going to have a blowout, it's that gang. But yeah, I, yeah, I just, Eric already talked about how it was a tonal mess. And so it made it kind of hard for me to latch on to anyone's performance outside of uh, Jeremy Pope's. Yeah, I, I, I agree there um, as well. I also wonder with Titus, uh, you know, because it it was like Bandersnatch where you, you got to kind of choose paths and different routes. I wonder how many people that watched this in considering him uh, watched all the options or what if they got a really, you know, the most boring of the options for his character. It, 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 it's intriguing. I that is a good point. I do wonder how that worked. Like, did people just kind of, I mean, that Freebird performance alone was, um, you know, I mean, like that would be on a. I mean, I I would think that's what we would see on a reel, right? <laughs> if we were watching the show in full. But um, that's a good point. I I wonder how somebody makes their way through something like that versus you know obviously watching all of Watchmen, which I think. It's a bit tough to consume that in one sitting. I'm very glad we were able to do that uh, on a weekly basis. Um, and I mean, the, the Watchmen leads the nominations overall, right? Uh, twenty six, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I like. I feel like any one of you know, like Yaya, Jovan, or uh, Lewis. Uh, any one of them uh, could walk away with us and I would feel, you know, perfectly happy with the result. My apologies to Titus because he did <laughs> tell me he wasn't feeling too great about, I mean, like he, yeah, he was just, he, he commended everybody else who was nominated with them. But, um, you know, uh, Jovan Adepo, I don't, I'm not sure he's gotten quite the same um, recognition for uh what is really uh it it it's it's a such a significant performance because at first it's very internal you know and by the end of it i mean like it's and we'll we'll get to this shortly but this extraordinary being is really it you know it, it's a high wire act it's something we talked about um or that I talked about with both the co-writer of the episode, Cord Jefferson, and the director of the episode, Stephen Williams, because, I mean, TV doesn't have the best track record when it comes to uh, depicting violence in a way that doesn't see, that isn't gratuitous. And I think uh, Watchmen, you know, walks a very fine line uh, in a way that I hope serves as an example for shows to come. Well, you mentioned your conversation with Stephen. Uh, so why don't we give uh, that a little bit listen and talk about Watchmen a little bit more on the other side. To begin at the beginning, there is, unfortunately, an overabundance of imagery that involves the perpetration of violence against the Black body in, you know, uh, in the cultural kind of storehouse of you know, of American imagery. And so I wanted to be very, very careful and considered and mindful and respectful about how we portrayed this uh, 
event um, in our in our episode and in our story. Uh, I wanted to make sure there was nothing gratuitous about it, that there was nothing exploitative about it as best as we possibly could. Uh, I didn't want to avoid it because it's a very real part of uh, the the long legacy of horror and violence and terror uh, meted out against black Americans since, you know, 1619 and on. And uh, so... Insofar as that was a truth about uh, the experience of black Americans, I wanted to make sure that we depicted it. Um, and so it felt like the best way to do that uh, was, again, from the subjective experiential point of view of the Will Reeves character. And, and obviously, you know, at the tail end of that sequence, um, we... Uh, you know, we swap out uh, Jovan Adepo playing Will Reeves for, for Regina King's character because she is, in fact, the person who is reliving that experience that, uh, that, that the Will Reeves character had. And she is reliving it courtesy of her having, you know, uh, taken nostalgia. Um, but it just felt like we wanted to be, you know, I, I know I, I took great pains uh, that day and... Um, talking to the crew and the cast and preparing everybody for this harrowing sequence that we were going to depict. And I, I, you know, we were all kind of cast and crew alike united in this common purpose of trying to bear witness to this kind of horror that so many of our forebears experienced in this country, but to do it respectfully and honestly and truthfully and, um, and as carefully and mindfully as we possibly could. Yeah, I, I mean, even in speaking with Stephen about that, I mean, you know, it, it's a lynching scene, you know, and it, I really appreciate how he and Cord took the time to, to, you know, to hear my criticisms or not even criticisms at that point. It, you know, I, I just admitted to having some reservations when I first watched it. And I think something we've been talking about throughout this series is this idea of catching up, right? Like, not only did viewers at home have more of a chance to watch things, but so did the voters. Um, do you guys think that had anything to do with Watchmen just cleaning it up uh, in terms of nominations? I think it had a little bit to do with it, but I also just think it was it was undeniable what um, what a force that show was. I mean, it's 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 well done. It's beautifully shot, uh, and it spoke to issues that are incredibly timely. In fact, more timely by the uh, time it was out than when they would have been making it. Um, similar to, you know, we've discussed Handmaid's Tale's journey. You know, I think it's similar to that. It obviously was in production um, and, you know, commenting on issues that we knew were relevant for the time, but that only became more and more relevant uh, as the premieres approached. Um, so I think it really just, it struck a chord and, you know, these performances by all three of these men here uh, are so um, just riveting as, as much as much of the work on the show was. I, I think that it's it's interesting to also discuss in nature of the characters we see Louis Gossett Jr., you know, his face and, and him being, you know, at least physically looking like Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, for most of his depiction. Uh, and I'm interested to see how it, how it will play, you know, the fact that we do see Yaya and Jovan uh, 
masked or painted or you know looking different than they are and how that how that plays into a voter's mind uh, because I think a lot of the times for me at least you kind of forget the person behind it for a while and that's a great thing when it's getting when you're getting lost in the piece but I hope that they get um, they get the the kudos they deserve beyond these nominations because that's that's really hard it's really hard work and what a perfect way of playing with the kind of superhero iconography that Watchmen as a franchise has, in its best moments, uh, you know, made us question and dissected. And the fact that all three of these performances are kind of powered by these actors being able to portray characters who are holding on to these deeply ingrained secrets that go beyond secret identity and they, they have to you know hold on to these things uh Danette mentioned the internalness of jovan adepo's performance but i think that's just as true of yaya and i think that's just as, as true of, of lewis's performances and it also speaks to how multifaceted watchmen was uh there's it it does so much it isn't it could have been so easily ultra-violent and miserableist, but it's really funny too, and it's really meaningful, and it's groundbreaking in some of the events that it depicts that are historically unspoken of in America. You know, I think a lot of people we, we've seen in the discussion of the show, like the opening, the cold opening of the entire series introduced the 1921 Black Wall Street massacre to a lot of people in the audience. And that is a horrifying shame uh, on our country's history and our national memory, but it's to Watchmen's credit that it could bring that to people's attention in a way that didn't feel like it was just wallowing in the trauma of Black Americans. Well, there's plenty of opportunity for us to uh, tout the uh, fantastic work done in Watchmen. In fact, in our next category, we'll be doing that as well. So why don't you uh, lead us into Outstanding Supporting Actress? Absolutely. The nominees for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a limited series or movie are Uzo Aduba for Mrs. America, Tony Collette for Unbelievable, Margot Martindale, Character actress Margot Martindale for Mrs. America. Jean Smart for Watchmen. Holland Taylor for Hollywood. And Tracy Ullman for Mrs. America. You're going to have to do that again to put the beloved. Oh, it's beloved. Margot Martindale. I'm I'm teasing. I I never remember if it's beloved or a a different modifier. Um, (laughs) She deserves all of them. She does. Uh, Danette, why don't you kick us off though here? What, what are your initial observations? Uh, you know, particularly, uh, we were speaking of Hollywood, uh, Holland Taylor, I love on everything. Um, but again, I just don't know that anything elevated to the point of the amount of nominations that show got this time. Yeah. I, I mean, you guys have known for a while that like, this is the, you know, these are the categories that I've been most keen to delve into. Nothing against the comedies or dramas. I just think, you know, that it's just, a much more exciting crop of nominees here, but I remain baffled by why Hollywood, I mean, outside of, you know, Hollywood's desire to see stories about itself, I 
I think in terms of like revisionist history, you could do worse than, um, than, you know, imagining, uh, a Hollywood that gets its act straight sooner than later, right? That doesn't need these quarter measure guidelines that we were talking about at the top of the episode. Um, but there's, you can really only give so much credit to like intentions. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm, I, as excited as I have been about most of these shows, I am still kind of scratching my head about that one. Something else that uh, threw me a little bit, I absolutely think, Tony Collette deserves to be in this race. Uh, but I'm really surprised that there was no similar love for Merritt Weaver or Caitlin Deaver because, I mean, Unbelievable is really, like, it's a, it's almost a three-hander, you know? It, it really, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't think of one scene where, you know, I think Weaver is stronger than Collette or... And I mean, you know, Caitlin Deaver holds her own in a different timeline and very much kind of like a separate story for much of the series. Um, we've talked a bit about vote splitting. What, what do we think happened here? That to me, just that, that has to be what happened because like you were saying, there's, there's no way that you watch that entire series and come away thinking like, oh yeah, one of these performances was uniformly stronger than the other or more deserving of my vote. Uh, they're, they're all so good. And uh, Merritt Weaver, especially coming in in that second episode and just with her entire being and this sort of compassion that she's radiating setting up such a difference between the investigation that we see uh, in the first episode versus what she's carrying out in that second episode. Well, you mentioned vote splitting. Uh, that clearly it did not hurt um, Uzo Aduba or uh, Tracy Ullman or Morgan Martindale, um, mm. uh, all, of, all of whom could have uh, many descriptors before their names that are all glowing, <laughs> um, particularly uh, for this series. Uh, I have to say, like, you know, all speaking of timely, like getting to discuss this era of politics and just the radical nature uh, with which things were changed uh, during that period. And unfortunately, you know, we've, we've definitely gone backwards in some ways and, and, or stayed stagnant in many, too many ways. Uh, but it was, I thought that this was another series that was just perfectly timed for our moment um, and was so well done um, down to the, down to the opening title sequence um, and uh, just all of the, all of the choices they made were so smart, but but it really relied on the performances of not just these three women, but but that entire team. But I think it helps when you have episodes that have your character name in them, which each of these people were nominated for. Um, it helps to get nominated if you have a if you are a supporting character who happens to have an entire episode devoted to your uh, arc uh, as a, a historical figure. But I, I'm so happy to see these these three here. Danette, uh, what are your thoughts on the Miss America woman? Um, the show very much felt like the, uh, the Empire Strikes Back in the culture wars. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where it's like, I mean, you know, we, we've been talking about a tough watch, right? And I mean, that, that is a tough watch. Um, not least of which because, you, you know, you just kind of get the sense that Phyllis was just much better at what she was doing uh, than some of the people on the right team, right? Like, you know, on the right side of history. Um, 
which unfortunately is all too common in real life. Yeah. And I like it. What has been interesting about the discussion around that show is that, you know, uh, some people felt that it lent a little too much humanity uh, to some of these, you know, bad players. Um, I mean, it, but again, it's, it's the Empire Strikes Back in this trilogy, right? Like, it, it, we had to sit with the dark side for a while. Um, and, you know, hopefully 2021 will offer us a reality <laughs> that is markedly better. But um, yeah, it's, again, something very tough to watch. But the, you know, Uzo Adubo, Margot Martindale, and Tracy Ullman are never uh, difficult to watch. I mean, as I already mentioned, could not agree more. Uh, and I know we got to actually speak to Uzo. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're about to hear? Absolutely. Our editorial coordinator, Gwen Inet, had a chance to speak with Uzo Adubo about the research she did on her performance of Shirley Chisholm, including moving into her district. And here is Uzo with more on that. How much research did you do going into Mrs. America? Um, quite a bit. I mean, I'll start with the facts, like a little bit of trivia. I had bought a home. Uh, my house about it maybe three years before I worked on Mrs. America, and it's actually in her district. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So when I and I. And I was a fan of hers beforehand, you know, before hers, you know, I had read a book called, um, it was like first moved to New York, called The African American Century, which chronicled 1999 and iconic figures, monumental figures from each of those um, years, decades. And so there was a section that had been devoted entirely to her. And as a Shirley Chisholm, I was like, oh, my mom was Shirley Chisholm. I didn't know why she did Mm -hmm. until I read that until I read that, and then I was like, oh my goodness, you know, like, this woman is incredible, what a force. Mm-hmm. And so that's when the beginning of my love for her started. And then, you know, obviously then I moved to um, Bed-Stuy when I bought my house, and I was so stoked because, like, Shirley Chisholm Post Office was, like, right there, and her name's, like, everywhere, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. her name was Shirley Chisholm Daycare, you know, it's everywhere. And then I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I just I can't believe I got this house. It's Shirley Chisholm, you know, whatever. So excited. So then I already had that, like, I guess in my bloodstream somewhat. And then when I started the project, it was, I guess it started there, really. The research started with my own neighborhood in the sense of this is, these are the people whom she was, why she went from being daycare, nursery, nursery school teacher to Congress. The, this is the area, this is the people that she was there every day fighting for, this community is who she was fighting for. These neighborhoods that are, have long since been abandoned, looked after, cared for, the people living in these areas thought of, have not received any of um, any attention or, or buildup. It started there, and then well, they're living in it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so then when it, that, I guess, it's really helped to contextualize then the books I was reading of hers, whether it was The Good Fight, her book, or the documentary I had watched of her, um, you know, Unbought and Unbought. I don't know if you've seen it, Unbought and Unbought, which is excellent. Um, 
capturing of her life, and it helped me to really understand the why of her getting into politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the end of that doc really explained the why of what I, why I wanted to do it mm-hmm. was you know this moment she or the story I wanted to tell anyway I guess like when she collapses into her hands in this documentary after releasing her delegates and she's just when she's like weeping crying so hard yeah and um I was fascinated by that Mm -hmm. sure that was that Shirley Chisholm that woman right there is who I want to know and tell whose story I want to tell more of I've had the pleasure of getting to speak with Uzo in the past as well, and actually about this project um, in particular. And she's just so passionate about the work that she does and does it all with such a, a pure heart. And you get that feeling from her, even, um, even over the phone, you just hear her passion. So I'm, I'm so happy to continue to see her uh, have great things beyond um, being a breakout from Orange is the New Black. And I hope that we continue to see her name popping up uh, in, these, in these awards. Uh, and maybe even we'll hear her name uh, announced on, on Sunday night. Um, we'll see. Uh, but uh, Eric... For the time being, why don't you take us into Outstanding Lead Actor? It would be my pleasure. The nominees for Outstanding Lead Actor in a limited series or movie are Jeremy Irons, Watchmen, Hugh Jackman, Bad Education, Paul Meskel, Normal People, Jeremy Pope, Hollywood, and Mark Ruffalo, and Mark Ruffalo for <laughs> I Know This Much Is True. This is can a category we, I... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I just... Can we talk about how strange it is that some... Because Mark Ruffalo was already a great dramatic actor before he joined the MCU. But how weird is it that in a TV season that had two shows with these Marvel alums, you know, doubling up, du- doubling their pleasure <laughs> and our fun by playing twins, and that they would gain so little traction. I mean, it, I think it just, it, it speaks to, before, you know, people viewed film actors appearing in TV shows as slumming it, but that really hasn't been the case for a while. Well, I can only speak to the quality of living with yourself, but like, I can see why that show didn't make much of a dent. It just wasn't very good beyond its central gimmick. Um, and I also know just from what I've read that I know this much is true you know, we were talking about tough watches was an incredibly difficult viewing experience. I also feel like both of these, both, I mean, where Mark Ruffalo was nominated for, I know this was just true, Paul Rudd was not nominated for Living <laughs> Yourself, but discussing, no. but discussing these, uh, just to make it clear to listeners that might be like, wait, what? Yes. Um, uh, my interesting, you know, the other parallel between both of those is that I feel like Certainly they publicized, I know this much is true, more than I saw Living With Yourself publicized, but I I do feel like that there was also just not a lot of um, attention or buzz around these projects as they came out. Uh, So I was actually a little... I mean, I love Mark's work. I think he's always fantastic, but uh, I was a little surprised actually that he was able to make it through to to a full nomination Um, just because, to be honest, we, we work doing what we do and I was very confused. I actually thought it was 
uh, I didn't know if it was a movie or or a limited series. Uh, it doesn't help that so many of these networks go back on those things, right? Well, and I've yes. gotten a couple of emails in the last week about how it's something isn't a special; it's a presentation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, semantics! Um, but my overall thoughts about this this, this list of nominees is that this is probably my the, the one I'm the category I'm least excited out of any of the acting nominees. I, there's just nothing here that like really pulled me. I, I do think there's good work that was done here, but none of these none of these projects uh, super excited me other than Watchmen. And even then, to me. Jeremy Irons was was totally functional in his role and and uh, respect him as an actor, but kind of wasn't a standout for me. And I know I, I might be in the minority there, but but that's just how I felt watching it. So so this kind of is meh to me. But uh, I, I know I might be alone uh, on some of those observations. <laughs> I know there's a whole screen time thing. You know, there, there's a, there's a math involved here that dictates who ends up in lead and who ends up in supporting, but yeah, given how Watchmen played out, I'm surprised <laughs> that uh, the Ozymandias role would be considered lead. But then again, it's Jeremy Irons. So, you know, I, 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 he, he factors into it fairly prominently towards the end. But I, and this might just be the cost of the mystery behind Yaya's character, right? Cal is intended to be uh, somebody that you overlook in the first three episodes because that's how good of a job uh, Dr. Manhattan has done, right? Like subsuming his godliness into this stay-at-home dad. Um, bad Education is some of my favorite television of the year. And I've joked with Eric and Dowd <laughs> and our film editor, A.A. Uh, a. Dowd, about this, about uh, giving it up to a, a movie. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> It really, I, I can't stop. I haven't been able to stop like talking to people about bad education. I think part of it is, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman's performance is really just, he, you know, he's someone who we, you know, we first came to know, you know, talking, talking about superhero things, right? He's someone we first came to know as like very walled off, even though like that didn't keep Wolverine from being expressive. It just was always like, like a violent expression. Um, and here, you know, he has to like indicate this inner life, you know, as this closeted individual, but also as like a real life uh, perpetrator of, you know, I mean, he broke the community's trust. This is something that I spoke to the screenwriter, Mike Mikowski about because he grew up in the school district in Long Island where you know the, the, the it's a real life embezzlement scandal, um, and it would have been very easy to just make this guy a one note villain, and the work that went on in pre production to make him more than that is obviously worth noting. But Hugh Jackman is just like firing on all cylinders, uh, playing Frank Tassone. I... Have you ever seen such versatility in an actor's <laughs> forehead? Like there are scenes, the scene between uh, Hugh Jackman and Ray Romano when they're on the football bleachers, there are lines in Hugh Jackman's forehead that I did not realize a human being could have. And they are, each each one is so expressive and says a different thing about the, the panic and the confidence that is draining out of that character. Just, just an amazing performance. 
I, I similarly loved uh, his work and think each one of those lines deserves their own little Emmy. Uh, but <laughs> um, but I'm uh, you know I'm actually surprised that Allison Janney didn't didn't elevate to uh, a nomination um, in here for supporting. I, I thought you know she's obviously not the focus of the movie, but I thought her work there was was quite strong. Um, Again, as it always is, it's Alice and Janney. But uh, I thought that that her scenes in which she is both uh, cavalier and then panicked about what she does uh, was all um, very strong as well. So, so I agree that uh, I'm glad that that one kind of shined through, um, shined through here. Yeah, it's an important entry in the. Uh, I don't know. I guess we would call it the like subgenre of Alice and Janney typing lustily or nervously. <laughs> I think about 10 things I hate about you. Uh, yeah, like, you know, I, I just, I love seeing Allison Janney at a keyboard. <laughs> I also love seeing Allison Janney uh, lip sync <laughs> or <laughs> sing I'm Too Sexy. Uh, <laughs> as you both are well aware, I'm in the middle of a West Wing rewatch. So there's lots of Allison Janney That's moments right. that come right to mind. <laughs> But back to things that are actually nominated. Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about um, Paul Meskel uh, and normal people. Uh, Jeanette, what are, what are your thoughts there? I am not even the biggest fan of normal people. I have to agree with uh, our reviewer, Jordan Searles, uh, who assessed it as like, you know, people having this much sex shouldn't look so miserable. Um, <laughs> but it, it is interesting to me that I mean, it's a high, it's a fairly high profile adaptation of Sally Rooney's work. She is actually nominated uh, in uh, the writing category uh, for her work on the show. But you know, it. I, I, I suppose this happens every year, right? Where you're surprised that something didn't gain more traction. But I mean, this is still fairly high profile, uh, along with um, American Son. Uh, even though that, again, was a very mixed bag. Um, we also have shows like Unorthodox, which we talked about in the first episode of uh, Push the Envelope and how that was like one of my catch-up shows. Um, is it just a matter of like, some? you know, Patrick described Watchmen as being undeniable. Is it just a matter of you know, some shows just shining so brightly, you know, what, what is happening with some of the, and even I know this much is true. I mean, that's based on a Wally Lamb book. Uh, what is happening with some of these even more high profile adaptations that they're just kind of not gaining much traction? I have yeah. to wonder how much it has to do with how Frankenstein together these categories are still that we do have, you know, not in the, the program categories, but in the acting categories, you know, these movie, uh, TV movie performances going up against the limited series movie performances and what really lingers with you longer and what makes an impression on you, you know, just anecdotally, if you spend time with a character through the length of a miniseries, I would have to guess that that's something that sticks out in your brain a little more strongly than uh, a TV movie performance. You just get more opportunity, yeah, like you said, to spend time with them and get to know them, uh, and obviously for the actor to show more shades of that character. Uh, but this also goes back to something we were discussing in the in the first episode, 
in terms of, uh, you know, should we be separating things by comma and, and comedy and drama? I was going to say, com- <laughs> mess that up somehow, apparently. Um, but uh, we see here, you know, just to, to go back a minute, you know, in the supporting actor category, we see all these dramas and then you get Titus Burgess there. And it's, it's almost like, how do you even compare the work that they're all doing? Um, and, you know, so we, we discussed a lot about, you know, do you still separate stuff by genre? And, and you know, looking at these categories, maybe it is, maybe it is an argument for, for continuing to separate stuff uh, at least a little bit um, to give opportunity for different types of performances to shine. Uh, but I think ultimately the answer, Danette, is it's, it's, the, it's the phrase that, we're, that we paid to only use once, uh, but I'm going to yeah. use it again. I mean, it, it's peak TV. I mean, it, it, I think there's just, there is so much there is so much content now and so much good content um, that just having a high profile actor or having a high profile title isn't, isn't a guarantee that you're going to rise above the fray. I think, you know, we discussed this in meetings uh, in terms of coverage, you know, and, and I, I've heard you more than once say that could be the biggest thing or it could be nothing. It's, it's so hard to predict now. It's no longer like, Oh, everyone's going to tune in to see that. Yeah. But, of course, back to the task at hand. Uh, Eric, why don't you take us through the lead actress category? The nominees for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited Series or Movie are Kate Blanchett for Mrs. America, Shira Haas for Unorthodox, Regina King for Watchmen, Octavia Spencer for Self Made, Inspired by the Life of Madam C.J. Walker, and Carrie Washington for little fires everywhere. Carrie Washington is always, you know, going to be a, a mainstay in the academy. I think you're breaking out with, with scandal and just that being such a, such a, a phenomenon in the television space. Uh, and, and that she's actually a good actress on top of that uh, helps. Um, but, you know, we, we discussed uh, last week um, the lack of, of, Reese Witherspoon in any of these acting nominations. Uh, and clearly uh, they chose to highlight Carrie over here. And we discussed why that may be the case that particularly Danette, I know you were mentioning your, your feelings about uh, how she was the, the superior performance in, in this uh, project. Yeah. Well, the thing with this adaptation is that there's a very big uh, change made in the very beginning, right? It's th- the single mom who uh, Reese Witherspoon's character is, you know, playing Lady of the Manor to, is a Black woman. And she calls the police on her and her daughter in the, in like, within five minutes of the premiere. So the, the story changed considerably. And, you know, it, initially I was worried that it was going to throw off the balance of what was to come because the show... Uh, the book touched on the intersectionality of class and race, but it got there by about ha- the halfway point when um, another when a secondary character is introduced. When you know the the uh, the balance is very different in the limited series, where we you know it's in our faces from the beginning because it's supposed to be right. And uh, you know, Carrie was Carrie Washington was also an American son, which. Um, is a bit more about state state sanctioned violence against young black men 
specifically. So, you know, they're, they're both very weighty roles, but I think she was given, she was given much more nuance here. And yeah, I, when I think about, you guys might've seen this floating around on the internet, just that shot where she has that, you know, bit of a half smile when um, she's hearing, you know, some like mealy mouth defense of racism to her face, like that work right there, that just that little half smile uh, says said more for me than just about anything else in the show. Take that, Hugh Jackman, poor headline. <laughs> uh, well, Carrie's not the only powerhouse here. I mean, we have a ton of recognizable names here uh, who just burned up the screen, going back to little fires everywhere. Apparently, um, you know, we've got we've got Kate who just did so much, and, and Danette, you you spoke to this earlier, like really almost to a scary degree, allowed us to empathize with this character that otherwise has been vilified by history, um, uh, rightfully so, uh, many would say, at least those of us here, I believe. Um, what, do you, what do you guys think about Kate and, and, and the work that she did there? And, and is that a... Obviously, I think that that shows that she's a fantastic actress, but, but do you think that that helps or hurts her that her character is, is who she is? I mean, it, it's tricky because... I'm I'm not sure that we're necessarily empathizing with her because not everybody can send their housekeeper to pick up their kid because they're trying to get some work done, right? Like there is no doubt that while she plays like the, you know, the little housewife, you know, coming up against the career women like Gloria Steinem played by Rose Byrne here. In terms of empathy, it's not like we f- we necessarily relate to her, but it does a great job of getting inside of her head so that we're not feeling like she's, you know, as you were saying, she's not just this one note villain. We're not just, you know, seeing this. I mean, we have to understand how we got here. Right. And this show is an important piece of that puzzle. And a lot of that is communicated through Kate Blanchett's performance. It yeah, pulls layers away from her, I think, more so than like making making you be like, oh, don't you feel bad for Phyllis? Don't you don't you see how she's being belittled by her husband or you know what yeah, she's up against it, with her kids? It's very tricky because you know we we use empathy a lot, and I get it. I use it. I I love empathetic. Do do a control F on something I wrote and see how many times I've written empathetic, um, and it but. You know, we, you do want to get inside these people's heads, right? Like, w- otherwise, w- what's the point? Yeah, and maybe empathy wasn't the perfect word to use there. I think more so what what kind of shocked me watching it was how much I was almost rooting for her at times, just because I really you re- you start to respect, uh, as you said earlier, Danette, her like how smart she is and how she's able to to kind of mold things. Um, to to uh, her point of view, or or mold other people to her point of view, uh, and that it was just it was it was mesmerizing to watch in a terrifying way. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you know, I give her so much there. But someone else who had us had us going right along with them the entire time was Regina King uh, in Watchmen, and she. Ca- I mean, for a show that had so many fantastic performances, she still carries that show as as such a a huge force uh and and obviously a fantastic actress uh i think um you know there's there's some of those scenes where 
she she also conveys so much in just a quiver a quiver of her lip or because she tries to be so strong uh and stoic uh, that the moments that you see when she when she either breaks down or hides breaking down it, it's just devastating and i i keep saying this that it's tricky every every everything everything's a high wire act um <laughs> This is another one of the, this is another example in like the larger story of Watchmen of something that could easily have been, that could easily have gone wrong. We could have easily gotten the capital S strong, capital F female, capital F black, capital C character, right? Like we could easily have gotten this superwoman who, you know, who's, who's shortchanged in her humanity. Um, but we see all of the sides of Angela. We see, you know, we see her trying to connect with her grandfather. Uh, spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it's Will, Re- Will Reeves. Um, she has a sense of humor about things. Uh, you know, like, I mean, when she puts on that getup, yeah, you, 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 you sit upright when she turns into Sister Knight. But, you know, I, I feel like we have just this great of a sense of who Angela Abar is. And, you know, it, it could easily have gone wrong. She could easily have just been, you know, s- somebody that was just strong and there for everyone else. But she was given plenty of interiority. And, you know, we're not really delving too much into, like, the writing uh, categories for limited series and movie. But, I mean, it was it was key to the show's success that Damon Lindelof worked with Black writers on this show. Like, it, it, if if I take nothing else away from this season of TV, and if no if 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 no one else takes anything else away from this season of TV, it's just how important it is to have people with those lived experiences and have a multitude of people with those lived experiences in your writers' room and. I drunkenly said that to Damon Lindelof at the Star Trek Picard premiere. And he told me, he was like, yeah, I said, I've just been asking everybody who's in their writer's room. And he's like, yeah, you got to hold their feet to the fire. He would probably not remember that. Uh, or maybe he does. Maybe he's like, maybe he walked out of there like telling people, there's a, there's a drunk lady uh, talking about uh, equality. Um but yeah, sorry. That, That's how that change my... happens, Danette. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me approaching people at parties. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I, in case you, in case you hadn't guessed, I love Regina King, and I am really pulling for her in this category. Well, I also appreciate how diverse this this. Uh, I mean, you know, we've got we've got uh, Regina and Octavia and Carrie, uh, and I think that that's fantastic that we're we're representing um, all these women, and we also have. Um, Shira Haas, who's Israeli, like there, there's a lot of um, interesting things going on in this category. I also think that it's fantastic um, for Shira to get uh, just listed among these other names, and not that she doesn't, not that she doesn't deserve to be here, and you know, possibly, you know, not saying she couldn't pull out a win, but uh, but really, just to, I think this puts her in a in a fantastic place to move forward with uh, just being associated with all these other like tour de force. Uh, and high-profile names. Yeah. And what a way to spite Phyllis Schlafly after she's dead. <laughs> yes, I hadn't even thought about that, but let's do it. <laughs> if she if she could see the company that her, she's keeping in this uh, in this category, 
Uh, oh, she God. would she would die all over again. History's greatest monster. Goodbye, Phyllis Schlafly. I'm glad you were the inspiration for a good TV show, though. <laughs> um, well, that's TV shows, but let's take a moment to talk about TV movies. Uh, why don't we move on to outstanding TV movie category? The nominees in outstanding television movie are American Son, Bad Education, Dolly Parton's Heartstrings, These Old Bones, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy versus the Reverend. I think if there's uh, a front runner in the outstanding television movie category, it's Colin's. <laughs> that is certainly true. I was just thinking as you were listing that, like, like what were the conversations about how to get Breaking Bad into the uh, <laughs> title of 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 the of El Camino? Uh, I also think that like when they when they were doing the spinoff of Grey's Anatomy, like you know that they hated that Station Nineteen didn't have any sort of Grey's reference specifically in it. Uh, ways to work that in is is so funny. Um, but looking at these categories. I'm thinking about how we were talking about earlier, how much harder it is to break through uh, in the acting categories if you're doing a movie. And look at the, looking at this here, we have one uh, nomination for Bad Education and one nomination for Kimmy Schmidt. And uh, all these rest of these movies have no acting representation in, in the categories we discussed. Uh, and I think that's, a, like you said, Eric, a testament to, to how much we get to know characters in the limits here. So I, I do feel like they're at a major disadvantage. Not that that has anything to do with which one of these is the best movie, but, but uh, I think it's, it's just an interesting observation about this, this group of categories. Um, in terms of uh, these actual nominees, what, what are your initial thoughts to that? I did not see Dolly Parton's heartstrings, these old bones. I'm I will say Kathleen Turner is in it. Uh, Ginny Goodwin is in it. Um, that series is, I, I think it's interesting what gets, like, you know, this gets into the uh, Black Mirror situation where each one is a completely different story. But like, is it really, um, you know, are, are those Black Mirror episodes yeah. really movies if they're only 45 minutes? Like all of that gets into a weird situation here too. And this was an anthology series in a similar way, each one named after one of her songs. Um, so, I mean, if you're a Kathleen Turner fan, check it out, Jeanette. But otherwise, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the ones you did see? I, I mean, I kind of forgot that El Camino came out this year and I'm, or yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry to, especially considering everything we went through to watch that. Do you remember that, Eric? <laughs> oh yeah. That was such, like, that was such a mess. And like watching it the day of, uh, and cranking that review out, uh, these, these are champagne problems, but, uh, <laughs> you had to watch it when the normal public had to watch it i know right during the <laughs> during the work day aghast but nobody expects everybody like nobody expects the the average person to have an opinion on this right away you know what i mean so well like, that's what twitter's for twitter would disagree yeah. with you Jeanette, but <laughs> um, but i get what you're saying yeah so i mean it, it it's always interesting to me you know how how much of this you know, like, I'll, I'll never quite understand the promotional strategy for some things. Um, recently, somebody told me that they weren't pursuing reviews, which is hilarious to me because I'm like, you can't really pursue them. Like, <laughs> your show is made. It's out there. Um, 
but people you know, have opinions. I mean, of the, of these five nominees, uh, obviously, I'm pulling for bad education. I I like that when I I have just been making uh, all of these like creators and directors like confirm my theories for me and speaking to them. <laughs> And, you know, which is what I did with both the director and the screenwriter of Bad Education, Corey Finley and Mike Mikowski, because there are all these great little details, like the sh- the, the shakes that Hugh Jackman is consuming, you know, like it just, it, it really is just him like, you know, eating his, you know, like sucking down his resentment all day long. Um, but something like I... Never had much of a chance to weigh in on. I mean, I guess technically that's not true. I could do what I want, but <laughs> I, I, I didn't have a chance to uh, previously talk much about the about the Kimmy Schmidt special. Um, I, you know, I we were talking about Bandersnatch earlier, and you know, the interactive model uh, being ideal for something involving like a mystery, right? Because you're trying to figure it out as it's unfolding. Uh, I actually thought that the Kimmy Schmidt movie made great use, or rather Kimmy versus the Reverend made great use of the interactive model because it speaks to what the show, the, the larger narrative of the show, right? That, you know, Kimmy has been like in recovery, essentially. Um, and it reminds us that like, you know, she's been figuring this out for herself and you very much feel that way when you're playing along with it um i i don't know if you you can officially call it a choose your own adventure but i know in the in the movie they call it a once thither because <laughs> they were trying to avoid calling it a choose your own adventure uh did, did you guys play through that at all what did you think i did and i i i enjoyed it and and you know just just making good use of that technology because it can go it it could go really poorly um and so I, I think that they deserve, you know, kudos for for just the getting the technical elements of that right and still creating a a story that was worthwhile um, and enjoyable. It's such a interesting articulation. It's an articulation of a production style of comedy that's been in vogue for a little while, and I think is kind of receding now. That sort of idea that you can come into a scene with multiple jokes and multiple alts, as they call them on set, Mm. and just kind of throw them all out while you're filming them. uh, And then, you know, the best one gets chosen in editing. Here is an opportunity uh, to make something of all of the different directions that any sort of comedic situation can go in uh, and not turn it into something like Wake Up Ron Burgundy. Like this is uh, this is its its own thing. It's a great use of the technology, like we said, and it's actually it's actually fun to watch and to play. Like I really didn't want to watch and play Kimmy versus the Reverend because I don't love the concept of the choose your own adventure TV show. Like I could barely make it through Bandersnatch, but. I was finding myself really won over by uh, the ways that Kimmy versus the Reverend kind of retrofits that format for uh, the machine gun approach to joke telling that 
uh, Tina Fey and Robert Carlock take to their TV shows. Yeah, I think I'm conditioned uh, for that. I currently playing the the telltale walking dead games which is basically all choose choose your own adventure and and go different paths so i I think maybe that also has helped that i've slowly been playing those over the last like year and a half uh so i'm I'm very conditioned for that um eric uh you mentioned a little bit about the difficulty of actually seeing it but what were your thoughts on on el camino once you did it was fine like i i want to say i gave it a b b plus i uh, you know, it was another sort of premise that I felt like I didn't need. It is kind of interesting that this category has two sequels, two beloved TV shows in it. Mm-hmm. I was just, while we were talking, I was going back to see if, like, in this category in the past, any other follow-ups like this have been nominated, and I couldn't find any. Like, I thought maybe one of, like, the Dallas follow-ups or something would have gotten an Emmy nomination, but. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like they did. So it is kind of interesting to see uh, both of both Breaking Bad and Kimmy Schmidt, like past Emmy darlings, uh, working their way back into the nominations uh, through the movie category. But I, you know, it's it, it's 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 a pulse pounding thriller, but it doesn't feel like it has the substance of a bad education. Like this is this we were talking earlier about the the Frankenstein nature of these categories and like it really comes across in this award as well. Just the the wild variety of things that are nominated uh, and the uh, the the missing elephant in the room of Black Mirror being disqualified. Yeah, well, the one notable exception I would say to to your rule, Eric, of of past. Uh past movies uh, returning to a TV show is, is Deadwood, which, which did get uh, a lot of attention when it came back uh, last year. Oh, um, but right. I, yeah. But, but as a whole, but that is truly the exception. I, I agree um, that it's, it, people have tried to do this many times in the past, um, but I wonder if, uh, if we'll start seeing more and more and more of that moving forward. Uh, because it, like you said, these are, these are two good examples. Um, and clearly uh, Emmy's, uh, the Emmy voters are embracing are embracing the idea. Uh, so so who knows? Uh, all these reunion specials could turn into <laughs> turn into movies or or presentations or what did you say that they're they're calling them? Dinette? Yes, they're they're <laughs> they're presentations now, not specials. I mean, well, you know, we used to call them miniseries, and now they're limited series. But that's that's what it is. Uh, but speaking of the the big ticket item, uh, of course, is outstanding limited series. Uh, why don't you list off those nominees for us, Eric? The nominees for Outstanding Limited Series are Little Fires Everywhere, Mrs. America, Unbelievable, Unorthodox, and Watchmen. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, most of these already. Um, I think the the one we've spent the, the least time um, discussing is Unorthodox. Uh, so maybe we'll just focus on that before going into our, our final thoughts. Uh, Danette, what, what, what are your thoughts there? Unorthodox feels like a much more intimate story than the stories being told in shows like Mrs. America, right? I mean, even Unbelievable, it starts with Caitlin Deaver, um, but it ultimately is uh, this huge uh, condemnation of how we treat survivors of sexual assault. Um, And 
that, that makes unorthodox almost a relief to watch, you know, like it, it, it's great to just sit with a character, um, and watch her go through this very personal journey. Um, I, I think I mentioned before, uh, that, you know, I, I kind of expected to struggle with it a bit more because I've not, uh, I, I'm, I'm not in touch with my spiritual side. I just don't have one. Um, I expected to struggle with it a bit more, but, you know, it, it becomes something more expansive and something uh, I think anyone can relate to in terms of, you know, f- figuring out your place in life. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, in other years, I think unorthodox could be, you know, a standout front runner, but, but it is quieter compared to a lot of these, these projects. So I, I am glad that it at the very least, um, is listed among them and got a nomination because it was a very crowded field. Um, you were excited about these categories for good reason, um, Danette, uh, and that's, that's kind of encapsulates it. How, uh, there's, there's just, there's no limited series listed here that, that I feel like was like, oh, well, they needed to get to, to five nominees. Um, and that's the fifth one. They, these all could be front runners uh, in, in weaker years, which again, is just a testament to how great television is right now. Don't yeah. let anybody say otherwise. I know there's <laughs> a lot of hand-wringing about like, is there even that much good TV? And I mean, like, I, I don't know that I would, I mean, I just, Better Call Saul is so good that like, I just refuse to accept anyone saying that we're not, that it's not a great time for TV. Sorry, <laughs> I just had to say that. I mean, well, especially if you're looking at a calendar year that gave us Watchmen and Mrs. America in in the same Emmy eligibility window. Like those, those one was my second favorite show of the of last year and the other will probably be my favorite show of this year uh barring a a, a last minute surge from uh joe para talks with you but uh <laughs> yeah like that that such great programs are still being made uh during this time really pushes back against that false narrative yeah, it's certainly to me a false narrative, and and I think the the only reason that I would say like maybe somebody could think that is is I do think that uh, obviously as as you know you look at a lot of the nominees, and I think maybe network television um, was at at sometimes competing a lot more with um, cable and streaming um, than it is uh, this year uh, in terms of the content that is able to go toe to toe. So you do have to go out and search for those, and you do. And luckily, we we. Um, have jobs that uh, that allow us access to um, a lot of the streaming platforms and or, and or screeners at least of certain projects on those. So we we are getting access that maybe other people just aren't uh, aren't able to in the in you know for financial reasons or whatever. So you do have to go hunting for great stuff, but it is out there and it's out there in I think numbers that that we've never seen. So uh, you know anyone who's saying that is is just not looking hard enough. But speaking of all the fantastic TV, um, I'd love to go right back through and get some final thoughts from you all. So we'll go back up to uh, where we started, which was Outstanding Supporting Actor, um, and that is Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Jovan Adepo, and Louis Gossett Jr., all from Watchmen. We have Titus Burgess from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Dylan McDermott and Jim Parsons from Hollywood. Uh, Danette, what are your, what are your big-ticket thoughts? Uh, who's, who's getting the most buzz right now? I mean... 
Yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen the second with the Candyman. Like it, it, it can't hurt that uh, everybody that that's easily one of the most anticipated movies uh, of the year. So I, I feel like he uh, th- there's considerable momentum behind that. But I mean, I'd be happy with any of the Watchmen nominees uh, walking away with this one. Yeah, I really hope they don't split it because. But I do feel I, I actually am, am rooting for Yaya as well. Eric, uh, final thoughts on this one. Uh, I just feel like it's he he gave such a towering performance uh, once his secret was out, but also uh, like we mentioned earlier that he he was this very smart, very subtle presence when he was technically supposed to be the character that you kind of overlooked. Uh, you didn't you didn't ever really forget about Cal, but like you did kind of wonder like what his larger purpose was and. Uh, for the for the character to connect so strongly by the end of the series is both a testament to the series as a whole and to Yaya's performance. Well, all right, let's go on to Outstanding Supporting Actress. We've got Uzo Aduba, Margot Martindale, Tracy Ullman from Miss America, Holland Taylor from Hollywood, Gene Smart from Watchmen, and Tony Collette from Unbelievable. We didn't actually spend uh, some time talking about Gene Smart. Obviously fantastic here, but I have to say that... I, I think uh, there might be a little vote splitting with Miss America. I think Tony Collette uh, is is you know beloved by the industry and did such fantastic work here, and maybe actually will get buoyed by the fact that Merritt and Caitlin didn't get nominated, um, and people will kind of want to show support for their work as well, um, and so may have may have thrown some votes that way. Uh, Eric, what are what are your thoughts? I I I, I feel so challenged to have to pick from one of the Misses America performers, but I, I want to give it to Uzo. Perfect. I will take it. I am happy about that as well. Uh, how about for you, Danette? Yeah. I mean, Tracy Ullman is great in that, you know, that as Betty for Dan, uh, squaring off against, uh, Kate Blanchett, um, as Phyllis Schlafly, uh, in that big, you know, like stay at home lady against working, <laughs> you know, career woman. Um, and I mean, I just am such a big fan of her work that uh, part of me really wants her uh, to take this. But um, I mean, there's, I, I also just don't, I, I think Uzo is the one to beat. I, you know, I think this is one of the most competitive categories of the whole evening. So I'd be happy, happy with any of them. Uh, outstanding lead actor, uh, we have Jeremy Irons from Watchmen, Hugh Jackman from Mad Education, Paul Meskel from Normal People, Jeremy Pope, Hollywood, Mark Ruffalo. I know this much is true. Danette, kick us off here. Um, Hugh Jackman. I think I said Hugh Jackman off, up top. <laughs> and uh, as much as I look forward to seeing Paul Meskel's uh, gold chain, uh, when he pops up in that Zoom call, I think uh, Hugh Jackman is going to be sipping one of those charcoal shakes. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I really hope we see a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, there's there's great... Um, talent here, very respected talent, but he's not only fantastic in his role, but also uh, arguably the, the biggest star out of out of these names. Um, so I, I think certainly that's that's where I think the the momentum is going. Eric, do you feel the same, or are you going to throw us a curveball? I concur. It is the huge Ackman. <laughs> Um, how about outstanding lead actress? Uh, we have Kate Blanchett, uh, Miss America, Shira Haas for Unorthodox, Regina King, Watchmen, Octavia Spencer. 
self-made, Kerry Washington, little fires everywhere. Uh, we'll continue to ping pong back and forth. Eric, kick us off. Uh, I think uh, after her run in 2016, 20, or it was 2015, 2016, and then 2018, we may as well just rename this award the Regina King Commemorative Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited Series or Movie Award. Uh, <laughs> she's going to win it again. Do yep. you agree, Jeanette? Yeah? Yep. Oh, yeah, I, I, I feel like it, but I, I could see Kate, I could see Kate uh, kind of making it up there. Uh, I definitely think it's between the two of them. I, I don't know if I, if I would place a bet on either uh, walking into it. So, so we'll have to see. Without sending TV movie, we'll have to acknowledge that if you happen to be listening to this uh, uh, after, uh, Sunday morning, the morning of the Emmys, uh, it will have been announced as part of the Creative Arts Emmys hosted by Nicole Byers uh, the night before. So maybe this will all be for naught. But if you're listening to this on day of release or Saturday, um, those uh, nominees were again American Sun, Bad Education, Dolly Parton's Heartstrings, El Camino, uh, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy versus the Reverend. Uh, I don't know why Kimmy Schmidt got the full title and the other ones didn't. I apologize. That is not um, that is not uh, saying they are any less than. Um, I, I think this is one that we probably all agree on um, as well, similar to the lead actor category. Uh, am I reading the room correctly on that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You are reading. You are reading the room full of staffers of the Corey Finley fan site, the AV Club. Uh, <laughs> it is bad education. Yeah, I, I think that that's the foregone conclusion there. Um, but who knows? Maybe we'll be surprised. I doubt we will. Uh, for Outstanding Limited Series, uh, once again, Little Fires Everywhere, Miss America, Unbelievable, Unorthodox, and Watchmen. Lots of un. Uh, here, again, I feel similar to uh, the lead actress. Like I, I think that there's two clear frontrunners uh that I honestly could see going either way. I, I feel like the momentum is behind Watchmen, but I, I wouldn't be shocked, I guess is how I would put, um, if, if Miss America was able to pull it through. Uh, Danette, what do you think? What I worry about is that something like Watchmen is going to pick up the big ticket item here and then just be kind of left out of other categories because there's the sense that, you know, it is the capital T thematic show. I keep doing that, but it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's the big weighty show. It's the topical show. Um, and that the Academy is going to want to recognize that. But, you know, I worry that even after that number of nominations that, you know, they're, they're going to think that that's enough or that the reverse is going to happen, right? Where, you know, Regina King is going to get the award renamed after herself, then something like Mrs. America, which despite feeling, you know, ending as more of a downer than Watchmen, it, it might be more accessible to uh, Academy voters. Not that I'm suggesting that they have mailing lists <laughs> like Phyllis, uh, Phyllis Schlafly, but yeah, I, and, and Watchmen is, I think part of the reason why I talked about it so much is because it's a show that has really stuck with me um, because I have had to really think about how I initially received that show. I think I was just like very, um, I just, you know, I, I didn't have the understanding to grasp how well the show was subverting racist symbols, right? I, I like, I, I keep coming back to it because, I mean, I, I think that's what we want from a TV show, not not a one and done, like, oh, that was great, and then you don't think about it again. I mean, 
you know, we weren't, we couldn't recall off the top of our heads what the grade was for El Camino, right? Like perfectly enjoyable in the moment. You don't necessarily remember it nine months later. And I like, I feel like my initial assessment of Watchmen was much more restrained. I gave it a B because I really didn't know where it was going, but it's only because I really didn't know where it was going. And I'm happy to have been wrong. Um, and yeah, that is just me apologizing for not getting it right away. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, to to your point about things you want to be able to discuss. Uh, the the front runners, Miss America. That subject matter has has been dis- discussed in college classrooms all over um, the country, and I believe that in the future, Watchmen will be discussed in college mm-hmm. classrooms all over the country. So, um, you know, talk about lasting uh, and and having staying power. Um, those those series certainly do. Eric, your final thoughts here. I just wanted to piggyback on what you guys were saying because my pick is also Watchmen. But when you talk about whether or not there would be future seasons of that show, I think Danette's point proves that there doesn't need to be, that the, it just kind of perpetuates. It never really leaves you. So why, why improve on that or try to improve on that, which you probably couldn't unless you took a, a whole different approach and still tackled such meaningful subject matter in such a uh, provocative and also entertaining and thoughtful manner. Uh, it really is, it really, like if we were just giving a flat out program of the year Emmy, I think it would go to Watchmen. Yes, and well, you know, it, it, it's it's tough because they've announced that that they don't plan on more seasons of Watchmen, um, but also understand that uh, maybe it's best to leave things uh, as they did. Uh, speaking of leaving things as they did, um, that's going to wrap things up for uh, this episode of Push the Envelope, uh, as well as our Emmy walk-up episodes of Push the Envelope. Um, but this podcast will be continuing um, discussing many more award shows uh, and having many more guests come in and give their insights uh, from behind the scenes of their projects. Uh, I want to thank Danette uh, and Eric for joining us for this series of episodes. Of course, they will be back along with many other AV Club staffers uh, to give you their opinions and insights. Uh, We hope that you continue to listen to Push the Envelope. Uh, Danette, Eric, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for going uh, on this journey with me. And we will see you next time on Push the Envelope. This week's episode of Push the Envelope was hosted by Danette Chavez, Eric Adams, and me, Patrick Gomez. It was produced by Iris Lynn and Carl Blomberg and edited and mixed by Zach Goldsboro. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.